Good morning. Good morning. I heard one person. Uh, my name is Luke Hedinger. I get to be one of the pastors on staff. Uh, and as you're, as you're taking your seats, if you would turn with me in, uh, in the Bible to John chapter 10. If you, have your, if you have Bibles with you, everybody's got a Bible now because they have phones, right? But if you don't have a physical Bible and you'd like one, there, there are Bibles in the seat, under the seats and um, those, those racks. And if you don't have a Bible at home, that's now your Bible. So uh, take that home. If you have a Bible at home, leave that. Um, you know, we don't. Anyway. All right, John chapter 10. We're going to continue walking through the book of John. And uh, over the past few weeks, we've been looking at this idea of, of leading in the way of Jesus. I don't know if you're like me. There are times where this idea of leading, leadership, you know, it's like it gets so overblown and everything's about leadership and how, how we lead and all that stuff that I just kind of, I'm like, I'm done with this whole topic of leadership. And yet the reality is, as we think about what does leading look like in the way of Jesus, it, it reminds me of my dad. He, he used to tell me all the time, you are the only Jesus that some people will ever see. And the reality is, is we all have influence. We all, no matter, no matter who you are, no matter where you're at, no matter, no matter what, you have influence. You are going to impact somebody's life. And if you don't think you are, then that's a good indication that you are. And maybe it's not in a positive way. Right? And, and so when we think about leading in the way of Jesus, this morning we're going to talk about communication because communication is vitally important. Not just what we say, but what we hear, how we engage, uh, all, the, all the things. And we're not, we're not going to unpack everything that communication is. But what I do want to think about when we talk about communicating in the way of Jesus is that maturing leaders, and again, we're talking about maturing leaders, because, you know, it's, it's hard to know. Like, if we, we don't know when we've arrived. You know, if, if I'm like, well, I'm a mature leader, I'm a mature believer, and so that means, you know, I have it all together. And if you have a problem with me, well, obviously you're maturing, because I'm mature. So you, you probably need to figure out some stuff, because I'm good. Right? We don't want to be that. We don't want to do that. We are maturing. And maturing leaders leverage communication to inspire flourishing kingdom living. Communication is, is important, especially when we talk about uh, communicating the most important thing. A.W. Tozer was a theologian, and uh, he, he says this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What we're going to look at this morning, this passage, is a continuation of last week's passage. It's where Jesus answers a question, and he, he says in the end of uh, last week's passage in verse 30, I and the Father are one. He's communicating to these people, and yet he's communicating the most important thing, his identity. And the reality is communication is difficult. I mean, think about Think about all the ways we try and communicate. I was trying to think of uh, different examples of how communication is, is really difficult because I, I read one statistic that said 90% of uh, conflict comes from miscommunication. 90%, I don't know how they gauge that or measure that. Um, but in my experience, it's like, oh yeah, that feels true. 
I mean, I, I think about when, uh, when I was dating my wife way back in college, and she told me, she's like, hey, we just haven't had any quality time in a while. So I was like, okay, quality time. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix that. You know, and so that night, I, was, I just really focused on her, and we watched TV for like three hours together. You know, and at the end of it, I was like, you know, I am a really good boyfriend. I'm really good at this. She wanted quality time. I gave her three hours of quality. Man, I'm good at this. And at the end of it, for her, she's like, we still haven't spent any quality time. I'm like, what do you mean? It's, it's so hard. I think, about, think about if somebody tells you, I'll probably be home tonight, probably be home around 1130. Well, 1 o'clock, they come rolling in, and you say, where were you? What do you mean, where was I? You said you'd be home at 1130. No, I never said that. I said I'd probably be home around 11.30. Or what if, what if maybe you have roommates uh, and you, you say, hey, can you help me clean up the apartment today? Or maybe your spouse, can you help me clean up the house today? And you realize when they answer no, you realize your question wasn't really a question, right? It's like, oh, I should have restated that. Help me clean up the house today, right? Help me clean up. The, see, there, there are so many ways that, that miscommunication happens. I, I love getting to be on staff with Craig. And one of the interesting things with us, Craig says that no is the point at which, why can't I think of this word? Negotiation. No begins the negotiation. No begins the negotiation. I, that's so foreign to me. To me, no is No. Right? When I grew up, if, if, if I tried to negotiate, when I heard the word no, it was seen as a threat or disrespect. So it's like, no is no. No is where negotiation dies. <laughs> and so it's not to be overdramatic, right? But, but that, it's, it's so interesting to me how communication is so difficult. And the reality is, as I said earlier, the reality is uh, the, the more important the thing you're trying to communicate, the harder it is to communicate it. The higher the stakes, the harder it is. And again, Jesus is trying to communicate the, the biggest thing, the most important thing, his identity, who he is, and by implication, what he came to do. And, and that is our job. We are called ambassadors. We're called to be salt and light. We're called to go out and, and proclaim this message. And as I, was, as I was thinking through this passage and thinking about what does it mean as we try to be maturing believers, maturing believers that leverage communication to inspire flourishing kingdom living, what does that look like? And, and as I read through this passage, I, I recognized that, that it, it kind of exposed three different beliefs that we can easily hold that undermine our communication, that we have to look at if we are going to, to do this, if we're going to, to be people who clearly communicate, who proclaim the gospel. We have to recognize these beliefs. And also, not only that, I was, I was meeting with a guy this past week, and we were having coffee together, and, and he was like, oh, you're preaching this Sunday. That's cool. What are you going to preach on? And whenever anybody asks me that, I'm a verbal processor, so I'm just like, well, here's my point one. Here's point, you know, just blah. You know, and sometimes my wife, she'll ask me the same question, and she's like, oh, I didn't want the whole thing. I just want cliff notes, you know, like, you don't have to preach your whole sermon. But, I, you know, as I was talking to him about it, he's like, well, that's cool that you recognize these beliefs, but what do we replace those beliefs with? I was like, oh, yeah, that's a really good question, right? Because awareness is really important. If we're going to change, we have to be aware. 
But not only that, we have to replace it with something. So, so what I'm going to do, what we're going to do together, as we read this passage, we're going to recognize these three beliefs that get exposed that, that undermine our communication. And we're going to look at three things that I think is revealed in this passage that we can replace those beliefs with that will allow us to be maturing believers who leverage communication to inspire flourishing kingdom living. So if you would stand with me, we're going to read chapter 10. We're starting in verse 31. And when, when we're finished, I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord, and you'll say, thanks be to God. It's just a thing we do here, right? So chapter 10, starting in verse 31, this is the ESV translation that I'm reading out of. It says, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It's not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are God's? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world you are blaspheming? Because I said I am the Son of God. If I'm not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him and said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we, we, we desire to know you more. We, we desire, God, as we gather together to experience you. Help us, God. Help us to hear your voice. Help us to have hearts to receive. It's in your name. Amen. You may be seated. There, again, three beliefs that get exposed in this passage. The first belief that can undermine our communication is, I believe I have to know what can't be known. If I'm going to communicate, if I'm going to clearly communicate, I got to know what can't be known. I got to, I got to know their motivation. I got to know their, their starting point. I got to know their definitions. I got to know, uh, did, are they having a good day today? Are they, you know, all these different things. And in fact, I got to know that without asking questions, right? Because that's cheating. We can't ask questions. We just got to, just got to know. It's so interesting to me, as Jesus engages with these people, again, this is a response to his answer. They said, and they are, they're coming at him hard, as Craig said last week. This isn't like a lot of curious people, oh, tell us if you're the Christ. They're like, tell us plainly. In in verse, uh, if we go back to verse 24, it says, if you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus responds at the end of that passage, as I said earlier, he responds in verse 30, I and the Father are one. He's he's telling them plainly. My wife and I were talking about the passage last week, and she was saying how it's so beautiful how, how gracious Jesus is with these people. Even though they're coming at him hard, he still does what they ask. He tells them plainly. And yet they pick up stones to stone him. And yet what does Jesus do when he's picking up stones? When they're picking up stones, what does he do? What do we see? He asks the question. I think that's beautiful. 
He asks a question. You see, Jesus responds to what's happening around them with curiosity. He doesn't just assume that he has to know everything that's going on. Because if anybody, if anybody had the right to do that, my guess is it would be Jesus. I mean, there are times throughout the Gospels where Jesus, it'll say about Jesus, he knew what was in the heart of man. Or he knew what they were thinking. And in this, in this passage, it says he asked a question. He engaged with curiosity. See, when, when we go to communicate with people, there are so many times, it's, it's crazy to me how we live in a day, and I don't know if this is new with our, with our current culture. Probably not. It's probably not. Um, because we see it here. So actually, I'm positive it's not. All right? What we see they're asking, they say, tell us plainly if you're the Christ. What they meant by that term is not what Jesus meant by that term. What they meant, tell us plainly if you're the Christ, is if, if you're the one that's going to uh, chase out Rome, tell us if you're going to be the political leader that we have, we've been waiting for and longing for, tell us if you're going to be the one that's going to set us back up on, uh, you know, on, on the high horse. And the reality is, is Jesus someday is going to come back as the conquering king, but it wasn't that day. And so when they're asking, they're asking from this mindset, and yet Jesus, probably knowing that, he asks a question and engages with them. And if you notice, by doing that, he leads them into a crisis point. They have to identify what it is they're actually saying. He says, why are you going to stone me? For what good works? And, you know, some of them, I, I've never been in a mob but my guess is some of them were like, I don't know. Why are we still? I don't know. What's, what's going on? Well, I'm just, I just got caught up in the moment, right? And some of them were probably like, yeah, why are we? What, what, why are we doing what we're doing? And they said, well, it's not, because, it's not because of anything good that you did. It's because of blasphemy. So, all right, well, let's talk about that. See, see, lots of times when we engage with people, we engage with what they think what we think they mean, not with what they actually mean. And see, what we do when that happens, that's actually, when we, when we focus on what we think they mean, that's actually an attempt for us to control the situation. It's not connection. It's a bid for control, not connection. See, I, I, remember, I remember a long time ago, uh, I was talking to my dad. I, I, wanted, I was young, immature, you know, and I wanted to get my ears pierced. And if you've talked to me at all, you probably can know the end of this story, right? Because I still have holes in my ears. But I was talking to him, and I remember we were, we were in the car. I think we were coming back from vacation, and I was like, Dad, tell me what your thoughts are about piercings. Tell me, tell me what you think about piercings. You said, well, it's stupid. Okay, fair enough. W why is it stupid? Well, because it looks dumb. Okay, yeah. Well, tell me about that. Tell me, tell me about why, why it looks dumb. And, I, you know, I'm trying to be curious, trying to, trying to connect, trying to, trying to engage with him where he's at with, with his own uh, thoughts and his own terminology. <laughs> and it was, so, it was so funny. You know, basically, we got down to the part where he's like, well, if you want to look stupid, I guess you can look stupid. Okay, that's all right. That's, uh, I guess I look stupid, right? And we've talked about it since then. But the reality is, I could have, I could have just said, you know, I know what my dad's going to say. So I'm not going to have that conversation. 
I, I know that he thinks this, and, and if I say this, and he's going to say this, and I play this mental game of chess, and in reality, it's me trying to control the situation and not trying to connect to, to where he's at. See, if we're, if we're going to recognize this belief that says, you know, I, I, I have to know everything that can't be known. I, I got to know their motivation. I got to know all these different things. If we're going to replace that, what we actually have to do is we have to be curious rather than certain. Focus on curiosity rather than certainty. Well, I know what you mean by that. Like, I've, I've had conversations with people, and, and again, my wife has been so great in this. She has helped me understand that when people talk about being a Christian, we can't know what they actually mean by that. When somebody talks about engaging with the Holy Spirit, I can, I can know what I think they mean, but if I don't stop and ask a question, then we might be having a conversation about something completely different. If so, I've heard people say, well, I lost trust with that person. Okay, well, I, could, I can just jump into what I think trust means to me, but in, unless I stop and say, okay, well, man, that, seemed, that sounds really hard. Tell me about what trust means. Or if somebody says, I don't feel safe, oh yeah, that's really hard. Tell me about what safety means. You know, we can just be like, safety, these snowflakes, you know, that everybody wants to be safe. And we think we know what they mean, but we don't know what they mean. We can't know what they mean. And if we're going to leverage communication to inspire flourishing kingdom living, we have to replace that misbelief with curiosity. The, the second belief that it exposes is uh, this idea or this belief that I will get sucked in. I believe I'll get sucked in. See, as I said earlier, um, the first service was really surprised by this, and, and I told him it was a little embarrassing for me to admit, but I've never been a part of an angry mob. This is crazy. I've, never, it's just, I've done a lot of things. It's just not one of them. And, and I can imagine, though, even though I haven't been a part of it, I can imagine it's not a very uh, calming environment, right? I can imagine as they pick up stones to stone Jesus, I can imagine they're probably not like, you know, I'm just going to breathe. Well, I'm just, just going to take a few breaths and center myself as I'm picking up. Now, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this stone now, and I'm going to hit you with it. Until you die. But, you know, but it's, it's fine. We're all fine. You fine? Okay, you guys ready? Like, it's probably not that. Right? It's probably very violent, my guess is. Very violent, very anxious. Because, because their whole world is being threatened. That's what happens when we're threatened. Right? And yet Jesus, not only is he curious, but he meets them. He doesn't get sucked in, but he does meet them where they're at. Do you see what he does there? He asks the question, and they say, well, it's for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself to be God. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? He, he meets them where they're at with their own law, with their own language, and he goes to Psalm 82. And Psalm 82 is, is, a, is a curious passage. Uh, as, as I was reading through it the, the past few weeks, I was like, man, what is the psalmist saying here? And, I, and there's different rabbit trails you can go down. But then I was like, okay, wait a second. I don't need to know exactly what the psalmist is doing with Psalm 82. I just need to know what Jesus was doing with Psalm 82. And when you look at Psalm 82, it's God sitting in this, in this heavenly council, and he's speaking to little g gods. 
And, and there's some commentators that say, no, these are the, the, the religious rulers of that day. And some commentators will say, no, these are the gods of the nations. And, Jesus, and God is bringing them together and he's condemning them. And what Jesus is doing with this passage is he is using their own law. And one, he's, he's condemning them with it. And he's affirming his own identity. The, the first thing that we see, if you go back and you read more of this psalm, which they probably understood, they probably knew, Psalm 82 verse 2, how long will you judge unjustly, show partiality to the wicked? God is, is talking to these, these little G gods and he's condemning them for the fact they are not leading their people well. It's the same thing that Jesus does with, uh, with uh, Ezekiel earlier on in this passage. He's condemning the religious rulers and he's saying, you guys are not good shepherds. You, you were supposed to be, but you missed it. And then, and then Psalm uh, 82 goes on in verse 5. It says, they have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. I mean, if you, if you look at what this passage, 82, Psalm 82, 5, and then compare it to what Jesus has said earlier in chapter 10, this is a condemnation of these religious guys. Saying, you don't know what you think you know. But in that, so he's meeting them where they're at, and he's also saying, but this passage, it goes on to call the, the, the people, these gods that the word of God had come to, he calls them gods. So Jesus is using uh, a style, an argumentative style that was common in Jewish law, which it basically means to move from the smaller thing to the larger thing. And so he starts with a small thing and he says, look, the, Psalm 82 talks about the people who the law has come to as gods, calls them gods. So how much more, how much more for me who has been consecrated, who has been set apart for the work of God to call myself a son of God. See, and I, I want us to be careful because Jesus isn't downplaying his identity. He's affirming his identity here. And, and the people, they're, they're wanting to stone him because they're wanting to say, look, bl blasphemy, it wasn't the crime of making, saying that you are God. Blasphemy was the crime of cursing God's name, making less of God's name. That's what blasphemy was. And so when they're getting ready to stone him, they're saying, no, we're not stoning you because you say you're God. We're stoning you because you are a mere man and you're bringing low the name of God. And yet what Jesus does here by affirming his identity, he's saying, no, I'm not trying to make myself anything. I'm trying to reveal who I am. It would, it would be like, like me trying to make myself out to be a runner in front of you. Right? If I'm like, hey, yeah, don't say I'm not a runner. Don't say I'm not a runner. Have you seen my running shoes? They're, they're really good. They're cushy. Got a lot of support. Don't, don't say I'm a runner. I, I have short shorts. You might not have seen me in them, but I have them. Don't say I don't. Like, and I wear them every now and then. And don't say I'm not a runner. I have a gym membership. I even have an Apple. Don't say I'm not a runner. I have an Apple Watch. And this Apple Watch, I'm pretty sure, will tell me my heart rate and my lap speed somehow. I'm sure that this does that. So don't say I'm not a runner. See, that, that, there's a difference between me doing that and me being a runner. So I like the idea of running. I just don't like the idea. I don't like the experience. If, you know, if those two could come together, that would be awesome. Uh, it's just not happening. 
And see, the, the reality is, one, I'm trying to create something, and one, I just am. Jesus is saying, look, I'm not trying to create anything. I'm trying to reveal that I am. And not only that, I, a really cool part about this is, is remembering where they're at when he's saying this. In verse, uh, verse 22, it says, at that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. So they're at this feast, the feast of dedication or consecration. And they're, they're what, we, what we know as Hanukkah, this time where they're celebrating the fact that the temple has been restored, that it has been set apart for the worship of God. And what does Jesus say? What does Jesus say as he's engaging with the people? He says, verse 36, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you're blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? He's, he's saying, look, this thing that we're celebrating, the fulfillment and the consecration, the setting apart of the temple for God's service, I am the fulfillment of what you're celebrating. He does this once again. He's done this at least uh, two other times before this in the book of John, where he's saying, I am this. I am. See, when we, when we engage with this belief, that, that this, this wrong belief that again says, I believe I will get sucked in, lots of times it's because we are not focused on our identity. We're focused on the anxiety around us. And that's how we replace this belief. This belief, we replace it and we say it's identity rather than anxiety. I remember um, not too long ago, I was having a conversation with a young person. I won't name names, but it was a young person that I love and I'm in a deep relationship with. Uh, and this young person, and the, it, during this, this heated conversation, I just, it was kind of one of those conversations where it's like, I feel like a crazy person, right? Because they're like, you always, and you never, and you know, and just like, and I'm, you know, I could feel myself just getting worked up. I'm like, oh, you have no idea, you know, and I'm, I'm like matching their crazy, because we're good at that sometimes, right? We're, we're good at matching crazy. We're good at being like, you're anxious, because anxiety, it's a, it's a sickness. We don't have to catch, but we catch it a lot, right? It has a gravitational pull. It's like, oh yeah, well, you're this, and you're that, and I, I, I was trying to do a good job later on of sitting and saying, why did I get so angry? What happened there? And I felt like God gave me a picture. And I felt like God, God kind of showed me this image of, of this person that I love free-falling. And if you've ever seen, if you've ever, you know, jumped off a cliff or if you've ever, um, you know, if you've ever been falling or launched off a blob or whatever, you know the feeling where it's just like, ah, you know, like you're just trying to grab onto anything. You're just, but, but you're just freaking out, Right? And so I had that picture, and then I had, it was like a cutaway screen of me standing on a firm foundation. And it's like, oh, no wonder that is their experience because they're fearful. But I don't have to engage in that way because I know who I am. And I know who God has called me to be. See, when, when, we, when we focus on our identity and not the anxiety, we're able to engage in a way that, isn't, uh, that, that doesn't look the same. We're able to engage in a way that doesn't have to get loud and big and, you got to listen to me. We don't have to do that because we know who we are. We know who we're called to be and we know the God that we serve. And the God that we serve says, hey, I have you. 
I have you in the palm of my hand. And as you engage and as you're trying to leverage communication, you don't have to be afraid because I got you. See, we replace this belief that says, I'm going to get sucked in with, a, with an understanding of our identity. Right? And the, the, third, the third belief that gets exposed in this passage is I believe I'm responsible for the outcome. Jesus, he's asked this question. Make it plain. Make it plain. Who are you? If you're the Christ. And, and he answers the question. And they do not like the answer. They pick up stones. They're going to stone him. And even as he engages with them, even as he's curious, even as he focuses on his identity, they still, this story ends with, uh, in verse, verse 39, again they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. Again, he says, I want you to know this. A, Jesus is so gracious and he's so patient. He says, I want you, look at what I'm doing and let that inform how you're living. Even if you don't believe me, even if you don't like me, look at, it's the same thing that the blind man did, which is, which is spurred on this whole chapter. The blind man in chapter 9, this guy that was born blind, he, Jesus heals him. And they're having this conversation, oh, why'd he do this? And how'd he, how'd he do that? And we don't know. He, we think he's of the devil. And the blind man's like, you think he's of the devil? What? Has anybody heard of a man born blind getting their sight? Like, we know that God doesn't listen to sinners. This man born blind is like, I don't know who Jesus is, but I know what he did. And so because of that, I'm going to trust him. I want to be his disciple. And Jesus is telling these guys, he's like, hey, you might not understand me, but look at what I'm doing. And yet, and yet they still wanted to arrest him. They wanted to get him out of their lives. There are so many times where for me, I have had experiences where I feel like God wants me to say something to somebody or do something or give something, and yet I don't because I'm too focused on what the outcome might be. I don't say something to a person because it's like, oh, if I say that, they're going to think this, and they're going to say this about me. If I give that, they're probably just going to use it for drugs, you know? They, they probably just want to, they're going to go to their, you know, drug dealer and buy meth, if I, if I open myself up to have this, have this conversation with them, you know, I, I don't know what they're going to say about me. See, when we allow God to be the one that controls the outcome, it frees us up to be obedient to him and work in love for other people. Right? Amen? It frees us up to say, God, my hands are open. You're the one. It, I'm, I'm going to let you worry about how this goes down. And I'm just going to do what you asked me to do. Because what we do then, what happens, is we're able to replace this wrong belief that says, I believe I'm responsible for the outcome. And it allows us to replace that with people, not the payoff. Focus on obe obeying God. The God who says, I got you. I am with you. The, in Matthew 28, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am with you. And it allows us to say, okay, then I'm going to trust you with that outcome. It, there's, there's a movie called 1917. It's one of my favorite war movies, World War I. And the whole movie, it's like this really tense movie. And, and it follows these guys that the whole thing is like, we got to get this information to the front line. We got to take it to the general. We got to take it because they're going into war and they have wrong information. And if they go, then they're going to get slaughtered. 
And the movie's crazy. They go through all these different things, and they finally get to the front line. They give the information to the guy in charge, and there's this moment where the guy in charge, you don't know if he's going to change the course of, of the battle. You don't know if he's going to listen. And yet the message was too important not to give it. See, we have been given a message. We've been tasked to go out into the world and proclaim this good news. Right? And yet, if we, if we continue in these false beliefs, it will undermine our, our communication. It will undermine what we're trying to do. Uh, as I was thinking about this passage and thinking about this message, I was reminded of a, of a story of a young pastor who, uh, it's, this has been a while, and it's not me, so this isn't one of those stories where I get to the end of it, and it's like, ha ha, I was the young pastor. It's not that. Um, but this young pastor, he, he agreed to marry this young couple. He was doing their, their wedding. And they, they went through marriage counseling, and it was, it was a really kind of difficult experience from the, from the jump, from the start. Uh, because the, this, this young woman had just graduated college, and all of her friends were moving on. They kind of had their next steps, and she didn't. And she got into a relationship with this guy, and everybody around them was like, really? Hmm. Oh, I don't see it, but uh, maybe. And, and uh, it, was just, it was just a weird experience. And this pastor, he went through marriage counseling with them. And it was the, the, last, the last session. And it was really close to the wedding date. I can't remember if it was like the day before or what. Uh, but it was really close. And he told them, he said, hey, I am really sorry to say this, but I can't do your wedding. And engaging with curiosity and meeting with them. I mean, this, this young pastor who was pastoring in a small town. And if you've ever been in a small town, if you've ever lived in a small town, you know that, you know, people make up stuff in a small town about you just because they're bored. So if you give them more things to talk about, boy, that's just like gasoline on a fire. And this, this guy, he knew all that. And yet he knew that he loved these people enough to focus on them and not the payoff, not the outcome. He said, I, I, can't, do, I can't do your wedding. Think, talk about an intense situation. Anxiety invoking. What do you mean you can't do this? The church is already decorated. Our friends and family, all the catering. I, what do you mean you can't do this? He said, I can't do it. Well, that young couple, they got married. And six months later, I believe it was about six months later, they were divorced. And it was such a difficult situation that I found out later, I found out later that uh, this, this guy that she married had such anger issues that on the way home, on their honeymoon, he tried, he got so angry with her, he tried to push her out of the car on the interstate. And yet, when everything, when the wheels came off and everything crumbled, that young woman had no doubt about how much that young pastor loved her. Because he was willing to be curious, he was willing to engage, he was willing to, to focus on his identity and not the anxiety, and he was willing to focus on the people, not the payoff. See, Compass Church, I believe that we have a unique moment in history, in time. 
To be people who follow a God who says, I am with you. I am here. We're connected. I see you. I love you. I am your good shepherd. And, and yet, if we continue to hold on to these wrong beliefs, that I got to know everything, oh, you say this, well, I know what you mean by that, or I, how dare you say that, and if, if we're not curious, right, we replace curiosity with certainty, and, and, and the, the false belief that, that says, oh, I'm going to get sucked in, no, if we focus on identity and not anxiety, we won't. And, and not only that, but when we, when we can come before the Lord and focus on people and not to pay off, we don't have to get loud. We don't have to be angry. We don't have to say, well, I'm just telling you the truth. Well, you might be, but you're not focused on the people, right? And that's, that's another way to control the payoff, another way to control the outcome. When we do that, I believe we will show people a God who loves them. Amen? We're called to communicate. We're, we're called to this. So the question this morning is, what does that look like for you? I'm, I want to pray for us. We're going to be responding with communion. But as we pray, if you would, just pray with me. God, we, we desire to know more of you. God, we, we need you in our lives. We, God, we, uh, there's so many times where we're, we, we want to engage, but it's so difficult we want to communicate clearly, but it's so difficult. Things, so many things get in our way. And God, I pray, Holy Spirit, right now, that as we sit in this space, as we think about uh, just what we see you do, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just maybe shed a light on one of these false beliefs that we are struggling with. Maybe, again, maybe it's this belief that we know what people think. We know what people, and, and to be curious, it's threatening. To be curious, it's, um, yeah, it's a scary thing. To focus on identity and not anxiety, it's a scary thing. To focus on people and not the outcome, people and not the payoff, it's a scary thing. And yet, God, we can do scary things because you are with us. So I pray that you would help us to show people who you are. Help us, God. Help us to be people who communicate, who leverage communication to inspire flourishing kingdom living. And God, with that, I pray that you would help us just to leave the results up to you. It's in your name. Amen. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com.